The thesis of James is to be that everyone should be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we see that consistently not taking place in society as well as oftentimes not taking place even in Christians' lives. I know I know that there is a lot of doubt, there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of discouragement, there's a lot of lack of trust, both of our government, both of our health officials, as well as other things. And a lot of people, I understand where you stand, I understand your viewpoints and things like that. But I wanna encourage you with this, that in the midst of all that is going on, we serve a God, number one, who is still on the throne, who has always been on the throne, will always stay on the throne, and knows everything and everyone, knows every condition and circumstance you face, knows every struggle and doubt you are walking through, knows every pain and miserable situation you are in, and yet still sits on the throne and still has a desire and loves and cares for you and wants you to know that truth. So as we jump into James chapter five, if you have your Bibles again, flip to there, I want you to follow along with me as we read, and then we'll just kind of jump right into the sermon. Now listen, he says. What's that kind of playing off of? (laughs) Right? Chapter one, right? Everyone should be quick to listen. Now he says this. Hey, now listen. All right? Now here's the big thing. If you remember anything about this whole idea of listening, listening is not just hearing the word and not letting it infiltrate your heart and not doing it, but it's hearing the word, letting it penetrate, dig deep down into your heart, and as a result, be doers of the word. James chapter 1, verse 22. Don't be mere hearers of the word, but also be doers. So he says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Let's pray real quick. Father, we pray today that you speak to us through your word, that your spirit would guide each one of us, that your word would be central in everything that we do, that our lives would line up based upon uh, on your word and your, your, your biblical teaching rather than worldly ideas. Father, we pray that your spirit would convict us where it needs to convict, it would correct where it needs to correct, that you would rebuke and you would train us in all, in all righteousness so that we could be obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. See, when the Bible talks about, and as a matter of fact, today, the, the sermon title is this idea of the problem with materialism. I believe wholeheartedly that we have to understand there is materialistic tendencies that take place that run rampant all throughout the world. As a matter of fact, I would say this, that no matter where you're at, no matter what struggles you've gone through, no matter where you have grown up, that materialism is one of the things that most everybody deals with. All right? When the Bible talks about materialism, and I want you to understand this, it is never talking about how much you have. There is nothing wrong with being rich. The concern in the Bible is the attitude of your heart based upon what God says. As a matter of fact, some of God's greatest servants, some of God's wisest leaders, some of God's best leaders all throughout Scripture were wealthy. 
So there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with the idea that I can be rich. The whole idea is what is the attitude of your heart based upon materialism and wealth and riches. As a matter of fact, when we talk about these, some of God's choicest men or his best servants, his greatest servants, if you think about it, Abraham was loaded with all kinds of cattle and sheep, and he was a, a person of great influence. Job was a person who was wealthy and yet had great influence and was very godly. David and Solomon, Isaac and Joshua, we can go through, you can jump into the New Testament where you got Joseph of Arimathea. There are all kinds of circumstances and situations that you will see played out there that wealth is not the issue. Now, in today's world, especially in America right now, we have this thing called socialism that is running rampant. That is honestly, and I'm going to put this out there, I don't care who you are, what you say, socialism is not biblical, period. It doesn't line up with any sort of biblical tendency or ideology. But I also want you to understand this, that capitalism that leads to greed also does not bear the weight and burden of being this idea of completely biblical. Now, what I want you to say is this. Capitalism, I believe, is one of the opportunities that presents itself for those who work, get rewarded, and those who don't, don't. But I also want you to understand this, that there are tendencies and ideas in a capitalistic society, there are tendencies and ideas, oftentimes in our worldview, that come out because what we see is that materialism is what drives people into where we hold on to things. I'm gonna use an example. I have a, a friend recently who, uh, in the midst of everything that was going on, uh, there, there were pay cuts taken, 10, upwards of 15% by most of the people that were working there, but at the same time, the upper echelon people still took their bonuses. Okay? That, my friend is unbiblical. To ask other people to sacrifice while you as the leader take the pay shows where your heart is. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna jump into James chapter five and I want you to know this, that no matter how rich or poor you are, all of life will come to a halt with two types of destinations, heaven and hell. See, materialism is not about the amount of money you have, but rather the wrong attitude toward money that you have. Materialism and possessions, or materialism is not about how much you own, but rather how much of your heart is owned by what you own. Do you get that picture? Materialism is the very thing that oftentimes dictates what we do. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says this, the blessings of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. So listen to me when I say this, that the fact that you may or may, you may have a lot of money or you may have a lot of material possessions in and of itself is not evil and in and of itself is not wicked. The truth of the matter is that if those material possessions have your heart, they have control of you, they have, of every, uh, have control of your attitude toward others and how you're gonna be a person that, that treats others, then those are where materialistic possessions or materialistic ideas begin to creep in. If you have money and you're miserable, there's a spiritual problem. If you don't have money and you're miserable, there is a spiritual problem. 
The truth of the matter is this, that materialism or the idea that we're going to let wealth dictate and drive us will show that we have a spiritual problem. So I could be rich, and if I let my richness dictate and drive me to the point where I am miserable, guess what? I got a spiritual health problem. And if I'm poor and I allow my greed and my anger and my frustration and maybe even my desire to have what others have, and it leads me to being miserable then I have a spiritual health problem. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It matters, what matters is what has your heart. Do my material possessions have my heart? I have met lots of rich people who are very generous. And what's funny is they're generous to the point where I've heard poor people say, that person has so much they need to give more. Really? Because I know you, you hold on to your pocketbook like you got a million bucks when you got nothing and you're not willing to give or sacrifice any. And so what I want you to understand that currently what's going on in our society where there's this call for rich to pay more than the poor oftentimes is built by what? Greed. The very people who don't have, don't have because usually They've made wise or unwise, sorry, financial decisions. Matter of fact, we know this, that materialism is the attitude of the heart. And you may say, well, I'm not a materialist. Well, today we're going to answer that question based upon the questions I want you to ask yourself today. So I want to ask you this. Are you content with what you have until you get more? Because if you're not content with what you have until you get more, then you are a materialist. Or... Are you discontent with what you have until you get more? Because if you are discontent with what you currently have, you are most likely a materialist. You are driven by materialism. See, I believe that in the midst of what's going on, usually the reason materialism drives us is because materialism is our attempt to buy joy, to buy peace, to buy happiness, to buy prosperity, to buy friends, to be able to say, look, Look at what I'm able to do with my money that I got. See, the truth of the matter is, is this. Most of us don't realize, number one, how rich we are. As a matter of fact, if you make, and I've said this before in our financial series stuff, if you make more than $18,000, you are in the top 96% in the world. At which point I usually get this. Well, yeah, but I live in the United States. Well, great. Last I checked, that's a blessing, not a curse. Last I checked, everybody has equal opportunity to make equal amounts of money to a certain extent, obviously. Some get blessed because parents pass down others and things like this. But you and I are given equal opportunity to step into a point in a position to work, to work hard, to be a benefit, to make some money, to do whatever it is. And what I find consistently is that most of the times we attempt to buy joy, peace, patience, and happiness in life, and oftentimes we'll do it with credit. And so we have to learn today, I believe wholeheartedly, that we must learn to get from God what we are oftentimes expecting from the move up or from the pay up or from the pay out. You and I, in order to understand that we don't need to be driven by materialism, have to understand that we need to get from God what oftentimes we want to get from other things. Joy. Joy does not come from money. Matter of fact, if that was the case, 
as I look around and I think back of all the famous people that we have seen consistently, both musicians and other things who have committed suicide with all kinds of money and people go, what happened? Money does not buy joy. Money does not buy peace, as obviously shown in what's currently going on in our society. Money does not buy peace. Your idea and my idea of peace, if we think that money is going to buy peace, only becomes more complicated because the more money you have, the more complicated life gets. And most people don't realize that. The more you have, oftentimes, the more complicated it gets. So here's the big statement. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's the the big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. How I steward my wealth. Listen to me. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Now, I believe wholeheartedly, number one, that I see in the church as a whole, of very unhealthy circumstances that are going on in the midst of what we see in COVID and everything else. And here's the reason why. Because I have seen believers lose their absolutely ever-loving mind on social media because they're like, not gonna do it, not gonna put up with it, not gonna happen, blah, 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 blah. And as a result, because you got to vent your frustration. Remember, quick to listen, slow to speak? But we're quick to speak. We vent our frustration on social media, which creates conflict with other people, all who maybe don't know Jesus, aren't trusting Jesus, aren't following Jesus, don't believe Jesus is the way to comfort and peace and joy. And as a result, we don't proclaim the gospel, rather we moan and complain about what's going on, and we lose any sort of influence. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. I believe wholeheartedly that we are very unhealthy in the terms and circumstances because, listen, when the church ceased to exist to a certain extent as far as public gatherings, what we begin to see is a filtering or a sifting of those Honestly, those who are Sunday morning attenders only, not Christians who would say, I am willing to sacrifice and give my life because that's maybe what God has called me to do. Listen, we live in a world right now that I have no doubt that Satan is working overtime to attack every believer, every believer. I have no doubt that Satan is working overtime to work through the lives of evil people who have evil intentions. And all it takes is for evil people with evil intentions to continue to do evil and the good people, the biblical people, the Christians, those followers to remain silent, not do anything and not get involved. And when we do that, you're gonna lose. You and I are both gonna lose. So, How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. So here's what I wanted to ask. What is my attitude toward wealth? Because how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. What is my attitude toward wealth? Here's number one. Do I repent over a wrong attitude? Now, listen, I know I'm I'm, I'm treading on or, or skating on thin ice to a certain extent on this, because I know I have been addressed by individuals over the years about this whole idea of not talking about money. It's not your job to talk about money. The last I checked, the Bible's very clear about money, material possessions, and wealth. So we deal with money, material possessions, and wealth based upon a biblical standard, not your ideology, not your desires, not what you think 
should be taking place and how you think a pastor should or shouldn't address it, but based specifically off scripture. So do I repent over wrong attitudes? All right, listen to what he says. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. What I want you to understand here is this. This whole idea of rich is this idea of having an abundance of possessions that exceeds this normal experience. See, people oftentimes want to blame the rich for what is going on when at the same time, having the wrong attitude towards wealth as a poor person is just as dangerous. But listen, here's what James is trying to say to those who are rich, those who were in the church, those who were oppressing others. If you know anything about James, James earlier in James chapter two, he goes after him and says, hey, look, some of you are trying to take a poor brother into court to win when they don't have anything already. And so James is addressing this idea of of these rich people who are basically trying to, in a lack of better terms, get blood out of a turnip, right? They're they're trying to take advantage of the poor people by saying, fine, I'll just just take this out in court. You're gonna lose everything you got. We're gonna be good to go. But I want you to understand this. Part of the reason that James is addressing this is because I believe wholeheartedly that the attitude of the rich people within the church there was this. I have, they don't. I'm gonna take care of myself. I'm gonna hoard it for myself and they're gonna be on their own. Which leads to a conflict of interest within the church. All right? So he says, now listen. In other words, be doers of the word. He says, you rich people, you need to weep and wail. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. We, we know that, we understand that. We, we have to have the right attitude towards our material possessions because I need to repent of the wrong attitudes. And so when I say this, I want you to understand this. Part of the reason that you may be poor is because of unwise decisions in your life. You know, consistently, as a matter of fact, not too long ago, I read a, a book, uh, Chris and I were talking about it, and I actually got it from the library. You can get it online if you wanted to, but it's called The, the Millionaire Next Door, you know? And most of us wouldn't know that peop, some people around us are millionaires because we look at their life and we're like, man, there's no way that person's got any money. They don't flaunt it. They don't show it off. They're not you know, driving the newest. Matter of fact, I'll even say this is a Dave Ramsey type thing, an idea. But I know lots of people who got great cars and are in debt to the eyeballs because their cars are new every year or every other year. And and they're spending money on things just to try and make themselves look good. Listen to me. The borrower is slave to the lender. And what James wants us to know is this. I believe wholeheartedly that the rich need to change their attitude. They need to repent of the attitude when they look at this. He says this, you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. And we're gonna jump into what that misery means, but I also want you to understand this. So you may be a person of richness and wealth and material possessions. There is nothing wrong with that as long as those material possessions don't hold your heart. That God sits on the throne of your heart, that you hold those material possessions with an open hand. Why? Because the true out of the heart, attitude of the heart, is what leads me to follow God. It's what leads me to be obedient to God. See, God gave us money to be a tool to help, to encourage, to bless, but it can also be destructive when it's misused. If you use a tool in the wrong way, it could be destructive. 
If I don't use it correctly, it's going to be destructive. And so listen, here's what I want you to understand when I ask this question. What is my attitude toward wealth? And I ask you this, do I repent over wrong attitudes? Hear me out and hear me clearly. An attitude of mourning and repentance over sin. Over the sin in my life, it may be the fact that I've let materialism be the goal that if I had money or I begin to compare other people. You know, I think one of the biggest struggles for people who I will classify would say are on a lower uh, income bracket is oftentimes we look with envy and jealousy at others and go, man, if I just had, if I just had their money, if I just had that house, if I just had, you hear what I'm saying? We're going back to this idea of materialism. Am I content with where I am at now until I get more? If I'm content with where I'm at now until I get more, then there's a good sign of spiritual health. Or are you discontent till you get more? If you're discontent till you get more, there is a sure sign of spiritual disease. See, lack of repentance, and I believe this wholeheartedly, lack of repentance leads to a calloused and unusable heart for God when we look at things that way. Paul talks about being content in every circumstance. I want to ask you that question. When it comes to possessions, when it comes to finances, when it comes to materialism, are you content with where you're at? And if you're not, what I would begin to say is you need to repent. Remember what we talk about. Do I repent over a wrong attitude? Because if I repent over a wrong attitude, then God can get me to where he wants me. But if I look at my attitude and go, my attitude's not that bad. I just need more of this, this, and this then what I want you to understand is this, that your material possessions hold your heart, period. Number two, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. So number two is this, do I look at wealth as the answer to life's problems? Because the truth of the matter is, if you look at wealth as the answer to life's problems, you got more problems, the more money you have, the more you pay in taxes. Unless you got the more money to pay a lawyer, they'll get you out of the taxes you need to have. You you understand what I'm talking about. But I want you to understand, do I look at wealth as the answer to life's problems? Why? Because here's what he says. Listen to what he says in verse two. Your health, or sorry, your wealth has what? Rotted. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Now, last I checked, Every little silver coin that I have that's a little collector's coin that says like 99.95% pure silver, you know what I'm talking about? I've never seen one corrode. I haven't. Now, they're sealed in these plastic things, all right, that kind of seal them because they're collector coins, whatever. I've never seen one corrode. I've never seen gold corrode. But listen to what he says. All of those things, gold and silver, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. So do I look at wealth as the answer to life's problem? See, I believe many people desire to take all of their possessions with them. As a matter of fact, I have met individuals who have told me this idea that they think that they're gonna take their possessions with them, at which point I just wanna kind of laugh and go, really? How are you gonna get that there? You own all this real estate, you own all this money. You're gonna, what, how are you gonna get your wealth to where you're going Afterwards, 
How do I deal with those circumstances and situations when that plays out? Matter of fact, I want to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 starting in verse 17, and he says this, because I have to look and understand that wealth is not the answer to life's problems. Listen to what he says in verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in what? Nor to put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. See, here's what he's trying to say and here's what he wants to communicate to us is that when we put our hope or our trust and our faith in wealth, that can disappear, that can corrode, that can be taken away from you, that can be gone in a blink and it's over. But rather, we are to put our hope in God and God alone. So do I look at wealth as the answer to life's problem? And if I do look at wealth as the answer to life's problem, then I am spiritually unhealthy. I have a problem. This is this whole idea, and I'll be honest with you, I have dealt with multiple individuals that look at money and finances and then get mad at a pastor when we talk about money and finances because they look and say, look, that's my money. God needs to be independent of it. My money is my money to make my choices in my ways. At which point in the past, I really want to be like, hold on, let me get away from you because you're scaring me. When we approach things in that way and in that circumstance and those ideas, then we miss out on the whole idea and beauty of our money and our material possessions being dependent on God and thinking about it as a blessing. A lot of people want to hold on to wealth and what do they do? Clinch it and clinch it tightly. When just as, listen, just as it is your role to take your kids and hold them open-handedly and say, Lord, whatever you would have to do with my kids, lead them, guide them, and direct them, and use them in a great way for your glory, I should also say that with my wealth, that I say, God, whatever you have to do with my money, whatever you have to do with my possessions, however you want to use it, use it all for your glory, not for my own, that I don't build up and store up treasures in, in, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in the steel, but rather I store up treasures in heaven. Do I look at wealth as the answer to life's problems? See, when you substitute gold for God, God will not allow you to get the full benefit of the money and the possessions you substituted God with. God's not gonna bless you when you substitute something else for God. So do I look at wealth as life's answers or the answer to life's problems? I found this great quote and I wanted to just read it to you and encourage you with this. Listen to what this says. This guy named Arne Garber. Arne Garber says this, for money, you can have everything it is said. But no, that's not true. You can buy food, but not an appetite. You can buy medicine, but not health. You can buy soft beds, but not sleep. You can have knowledge, but not intelligence. You can have glitter, but not comfort. You can have fun, but not pleasure. You can have acquaintances, but not friends. You can have servants, but not faithfulness. You can have gray hair, but not honor. You can have quiet days, but not peace. The shell of all things you can get for money, but not the kernel, that cannot be had for money. You can build a home and not have a house. Or you, sorry, you can build a house and not have a home. You can have acquaintances but not friends. Listen to me, money is not the answer to everything under the sun. 
And James literally lays that out for us to understand exactly what it is he wants to communicate and how we can apply this. Listen again what he says. He says, your gold and silver are corroded. And listen, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Listen, here's what I want you to understand. And I believe this is the way that God works in these things is that when we let money and material possessions dictate and direct everything that we do, listen to what he says. He says that it will literally eat your flesh like fire. It will consume you. It will make everything you do be functioned and focused solely on pleasing you and you alone. Now listen to me, and here's what I want to encourage you with, because I believe this is wholehearted, and I know I'm kind of preaching the choir because we don't have a lot of business owners and and upper-level white-collar people type things, but I want you to understand this. One of the greatest struggles in America right now, I believe, is this, is that greed drives everything, including the greed of those who are over those that are under them. What I mean by that is this. I know in the past of business owners who have been told, hey, don't do that. You need to take that money for yourself, even though those business owners were doing really well. Take it, profit of it. Don't take care of your employees. Don't take care of those who are under you. And listen to me as a Christian, if you own a business, I believe one of the greatest responsibilities you have, obviously, is to present the gospel to those who are under you, but I believe you can do that by taking care of the people who work for you and under you. Greed doesn't get you further along the process in God's economy. Greed only makes you look stupid and ineffective down here on earth when all you have to do is take care of those who are under you. And that brings me to number three. When we talk about this, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. And I ask you this question, what is my attitude toward wealth? Here's the third question I wanna ask. Do I allow wealth to contaminate my character? Do I allow wealth to contaminate my character? Listen to what he says at the end of James, as a matter of fact, or James 5, sorry, here, I want to start the end of verse 3. He says this, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Do you hear what's going on there? What's going on there is somebody worked and they worked hard, they mowed their field, they're getting ready for the harvest, and yet they're not what? They're not compensated for it. They're not paid for it. They're not cared for. And as a result, the rich person pads their pockets and the poor person walks away being taken advantage of. And listen to what he says. He says, you hoarded wealth in the last days. You know, when I think about this term hoarded, if you've ever seen that, that show Hoarders on TV, it's about gross. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like these people buy stuff and they just stack it up and they go in their house and all they got like is a pathway maybe through a room because they got stuff everywhere. Could you imagine that? This whole idea that you have hoarded wealth. You have held on to it to a point where you don't even know what you're going to do with all of it. And he's coming down on believers. Listen to me. Hoarding it rather than being generous is this whole idea. Now listen, 
I believe wholeheartedly that in this idea of the American dream and having a retirement, there is, to a certain extent, nothing wrong with that as long as, listen to me, as long as I believe that you're not hoarding it to the point where you can say, I'm just going to ignore those who are in need around me. I don't know that I can single out anybody. I, I'm being honest. That I don't know anyone in our church that would be in that circumstance or that situation. There is such a thing all throughout Proverbs about being wise. There is such a thing about in, in Proverbs where it says to leave an inheritance for your kids. There is such a thing as making wise decisions and taking care of yourself. But I also want you to understand this. When we talk about what James is talking about, he says you hoarded wealth in the last days. And I think it's important to remember this whole idea of in the last days. It could be the end of your days, but it also is this idea that it could be the end of days. And the question would be asked is this, have I used everything to my ability that the Lord has blessed me with in order to influence people, in order to serve people, in order to love people and show people the good news of Jesus Christ? Have I used everything I could in my power that the Lord has blessed me to lead others to Jesus? Why? Because in the last days, when the rubber hits the road, when everything gets really difficult, your wealth and my wealth and the things that I have can be used to proclaim the gospel to those who are farthest from him. And he literally says this, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And I think it's important to remember this whole idea. Proverbs chapter 11 says this, the Lord abhors dishonest scales. And I believe one of the greatest influences you can ever have, if you're a Christian businessman or a person who is in charge of taking care of those under you, is to say, listen, I want to, number one, pay what we would call a fair wage, all right? This is not leaning towards socialism. This is not talking about the minimum wage. I'm talking about paying a fair wage and taking care of those who are under you. See, the person worked for them, and yet they weren't, they weren't paid, this person rightfully earns the wage and then they're not cared for. They're not taken care of. Is that the idea of loving your neighbor or is that the idea of loving yourself? See, when money controls us to the point that it shows ungodly character, we show what has our heart. We show what controls our heart and we cannot allow gold to replace God. So listen to what he says. Your possessions, they will testify against you and those that you have cheated will also testify against you. So get this played out, all right? The end of times, maybe you've passed away. You're standing before the Lord. What did you do for me? How am I gonna hold you account? Well, I hoarded my money and I didn't pay people fairly. What does the Bible just say it's gonna do? Those things are gonna be held in testimony or they're gonna testify against me as a person, as a believer. Why? Because how I use my wealth shows my spiritual health. When wealth controls me, when wealth is sitting on the throne, when wealth or gold is my God, then I miss out on the encouragement and the love that God has for me to show others in a great way. See, I believe this. You can be rich and heartless or you can be rich and generous. You have 
the choice. Listen as he follows up and finishes with verse five. He says, you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. See, Here's what we begin to understand is that if we want to know or if we want to, to identify where our, our wealth or where our heart is, all we have to do is know that we can steward our wealth. And when we steward our wealth in a biblical way, that we will be spiritually healthy. But when we steward our wealth in an unbiblical way, we are spiritually unhealthy. So here's a way to identify that. When you had less, or maybe if you have less right now, as a result, do you have more time with God? When you have more, or when you desire more, do you spend less time with the Lord? I believe wholeheartedly in this that statement. If God is losing the battle in your heart over this sin of materialism, not only is it going to stunt your effectiveness in the kingdom, but it's gonna stifle any sort of spiritual growth that God wants to do in your life. When materialism owns me, when materialism sits on the throne of my heart, then that stifles any sort of spiritual growth that God wants to do in me. Listen to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Whoever trusts in riches will fall. Why? Because you and I know that in the end, money is going to fail. That in the end, that gold and silver are not gonna buy your way into heaven. That in the end, how you treat others and what you do for others is going to speak volumes about what you believe and who, whose you are. Matter of fact, I want to wrap up with this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this is where we're going to kind of camp and wrap up. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, it, six, it says this. Actually, I want to jump into verse 5 right at the end, and it says, uh, that there are those who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Listen, you don't use God to get finances. God is the one who blesses you as a result of obedience, period. If he gives you great wealth, great. But using God to get financial gain, that is ungodly as well. But listen to what he says in verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish, listen, foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And then we jump into the verse that nobody ever wants to really acknowledge because a lot of people say, well, the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. And that's literally what it says. For the love of of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, have pierced themselves and have many griefs. Listen, when money sits on the throne, when money, the love of money is what drives and dictates everything you do, then in the end, you're going to fail. You're not spiritually healthy. But listen, when you are wealthy or healthy materialistically, when you use those material possessions and that wealth in biblical obedience to godly and in godly character, then as a result, I believe wholeheartedly that God will multiply what you currently have. If we match character with wealth, we could do much good. But 
Matching self-indulgence, what he just talked about here in James, with wealth only produces more sin. When everything is about sinful selfishness, then all we're gonna do is get more sin. Proverbs 11 verse four says this, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Hear me out, I wanna be very clear and I think this is one of the things that James, James is a straight shooter. James doesn't beat around the bush. If you're a black and white person, you probably love James. If you like to, to tinker in the gray area and go, well, that's not really, you probably hate James. Because James just tells you how it is. And you're like, well, I don't like that. Well, guess what? Get over it. <laughs> There's a lot of things that God says that we may not like in my life, but God says it, so I need to be obedient to it. And that's what James is coming out and saying. If your heart follows your treasure, I believe you miss out on the blessing of when your treasure follows your heart. Why? Because when God has your heart and your treasure follows your heart, then there is great opportunity for great blessing in the kingdom of God. But when your treasure is your finances and God doesn't have your treasure, then your treasure is what's gonna mislead you. Matthew chapter six says that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the question is, as believers, based upon James, is where is my treasure? Because I believe, again, based upon the key statement today, that how I steward my wealth, and you may say, well, I'm not wealthy. Do you have money? If you have money, you have wealth. If you have joy, you have wealth. If you have Jesus, you have wealth. If you have a family, you have wealth. If you have those things, you are wealthy. It's just not based upon American ideology of wealth. You and I are wealthy and the Lord wants to bless your wealth or your material possessions. And how I steward my wealth or my material possessions reveals my spiritual health. Let's pray. Father, we know with great urgency and with great struggle at times how our wealth can be something that, that we fight with, that we struggle with, that we chase after. Oftentimes, maybe we set character on the back burner to try and make a, a dollar here or a dollar more there. God, I pray just as we looked at this that you would convict us through the power of your spirit that if there is anybody here who deals with this struggle of wealth and material possessions dictating how they run their life, God, that you would begin to work in them, that you would, number one, you would speak to them, that they would understand that there is grace and there is repentance, that they can repent of a bad attitude and that, God, you are going to forgive them, that you would forgive us for having a wrong attitude. And Lord, I pray that that would be our heart. God, I look at a world where right now we have fighting over money, we have fighting over race, we have fighting over physical health and wellness because of a sickness that's going around. And we see a lot of unhealthy attributes played out in our society. God, may we as Christians be healthy. And if we're not, God, would you, the great physician and doctor, diagnose Show us what we need to do, correct it, and let us take the next step to be doers of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.